Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. Let me tell you where we're going today. If you got your Bibles, open to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And we're going to get into a conversation that Jesus had uh, regarding, really, greed and need and stewardship. So, mom and I, my mom's been with me for about 10 days, hanging out with our family. And I might just keep her forever and uh, let her stay up here. But she and I were knocking around the other day. So we ended up floating in TJ Maxx. Anybody ever go into TJ Maxx? And you know, in the women's section, they got all the yoga stuff and cups and different things, right? Well, they had black ones and gray ones that were $12.99. And I saw a sticker on this one. It said $8. So guess what I did? So Dustin can laugh at it. Barb can laugh at it. Rachel and Caleb can bust on me about it. And guess what I'm going to do, guys? Same cup, different color. I'm not turning down a good deal, so I needed one. If you got your Bibles I'll open to Luke 12, so good to have you guys here today. And if you're visiting, uh, we're honored that you would be a guest with us. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we started back in December. And we were slowly working our way through the Gospel of Luke. And so there's so much uh, depth and just rich uh, nuggets inside uh, of the scripture. But as you get into chapter by chapter, there's so much to unpackage. And so there were certain chapters that might take us three or four weeks to get through that chapter. What we're going to do starting today is we're going to take one chapter. And my encouragement to you is to go back in and study and read yourself. Today I'll be in Luke chapter 12. Next week, We'll be in Luke chapter 13, etc. We're going to take a chapter a week and you'll know where we're at. Please do your own study. Please be pondering it. Even after I teach today, my prayer is that you would go back and do some deep dive yourself. I made a statement a couple of weeks ago that we will finish this series now October 1st. Okay? Starting October 8th, I'm going to start a new series that I've titled, What? And we're going to talk about what is truth. What is a man? What is a woman? What is God's design for marriage? We're living in crippling, chaotic, confusing times. And if the church ever needed to bring clarity to the people, it is now in so many different areas. So we're going to stay in that for a while. And then we'll dive into our Thanksgiving and Christmas time. And then I'm going to do a series called Why. Why I live a missional life. Why I believe that being involved in community, etc., is, is, is essential. And then we'll get into a series that I want to do on why understanding your core operational belief system is so crucial. So I really feel like God has given me vision for the next weeks and months of where we're supposed to go. Why do you do it? I do it uh, because I want to see you grow. Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 11 and 12 says that pastors and teachers have a responsibility. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work of the kingdom and to build up the church so that the body of Christ becomes mature, mature in Christ. So that's what we're shooting at, right? So it's not an entertainment, feel-good kind of a culture but it's an equipping culture, and we want to see every person that steps in here fully alive in Christ, 
to know who they are in Christ and to reach whatever that ceiling is that God has for you that you can grow into. So my responsibility is to teach, is to equip, is to life coach, is to be here to help motivate, agitate, stimulate you to be all that you can be for the glory of God. So we handle the word every week. We don't a la carte. We, 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 we get into the word. We don't cut and paste scripture. We deal with problem passages, tough passages. We, we, we want to represent what God has, God has said and what God has spoken to the people, right? Uh, a young girl, uh, when I first made mention of this a few weeks ago, a girl in her 20s said, Ooh, if you're going to get into that what series, I mean, that can be controversial. No, what the world is teaching is controversial. What I will be teaching is biblical. The problem in our culture today is we've moved from God's design to man's desire. And we're we're seeing even churches start to cater toward the desire of man instead of going back to the design of God. And we've got to stay with God's design. All right, everybody cool? Father, I pray that you would open our hearts, our minds, that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to move, to work in this room right now, that every person, whether they've been here one Sunday or whether they've been here a hundred or a thousand Sundays, I pray that they would calm their hearts before you, that they would just eliminate any distractions, that we would open up to you and that you would really speak in Christ's name. Amen. So here's where we find ourselves today. Luke chapter 12. I want to pose a question to you as I dive into this text. If I had to title today's message, I would title it, What is Enough? What is Enough? The first 12 verses, Jesus has basically been teaching and equipping these people with biblical truth. He's talked to them about how God truly values all people and that all people, Logan, have worth. You have worth. You have value in God's eyes. Jesus has also been uh, encouraging these people that are associating and following him. He, he looks at them and says, don't, don't fear persecution. Don't fear being attacked. Don't fear all of these insults and stuff that come your way. It's going to happen. He even promised in John, in this world you'll have, be, you'll have trouble. Be of good cheer, over, overcome the world. But you're going you're gonna to have insults and attacks at times. He goes, don't fear that. Fear God, obey God. And then he emphasizes the importance for the believer, for the follower. He goes, take a stand for the gospel. Don't back down. Don't run from conflict and tension. Continue to stand firm. That's basically what the Lord has been teaching in these first 12 verses. While he's teaching this and equipping the people, this man interrupts Jesus and basically wants Jesus to take his side in a financial dispute. In the middle of Jesus laying out this incredible teaching, this guy is like, I need you to take my side in this uh, dispute that I'm having with my family member, my brother. What Jesus is about to unpackage in this teaching that we find here in Luke 12 is the importance 
the importance of having the right heart attitude, the right posture of heart when it comes to dealing with money and financial resources and wealth, etc. That's what Jesus is going to focus on in this teaching. So you pick up the text in verse 13, and it says, Someone said to Jesus, someone, Hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Let me, let me stop before I, I get into the teaching. Our brother Andy passed away about 10 days ago. Andy was a part of our fellowship. Andy sat here to my right. Andy was restricted to a wheelchair. Andy had battled a lot of health issues. He passed away. And I was at the funeral home the other night. One of the ladies in our church, I saw her at the funeral home. We were talking. And while we were there, she looked at me and she said this. She said, uh, hey, uh, she came up to me on Easter Sunday. And when I preached Easter Sunday, she said, I want you to preach that message at my funeral whenever I die. She's very healthy. I wrote it in my notes. I'm like, all right, when she dies, I know what I'm preaching at her funeral. She saved me all this research. Praise God. <laughs> Write it down. But she looked at me and she said, I've already paid for my funeral. My husband and I have already paid for our funerals. We met with a funeral home director. I beat him down on prices for the caskets. Uh, I, I, I told him, we're not going to be embalmed. You don't have to be embalmed in the state of Georgia. Saving money there, saving money here. She said, I've got the number down to what I felt like was a good number. And so we've already paid for everything. I'm like, look at you. She said, you know why I did it? <laughs> I'm like, because you're proactive. And she said, nope, it's one less thing the kids will argue about when we die. I started laughing. You know how many disputes happen around death? You know how much tension happens around this? Somebody's died. Jesus, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. We've got a dispute going on. There's been a death. We're, we're we're past the grieving place, and now we're getting to the greed place. But he said to him, man, who appointed me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? Then Jesus makes this statement, beware and be on your guard. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Hey, pay attention to what you pay attention to. Pay attention to what you value. Is Jesus concerned with justice? Yes. He's the most just man to ever walk this planet. What do you mean by justice? I mean, he is concerned with making things right and doing things right. But listen to me. Jesus did not feel that it was his responsibility to solve every problem. Jesus did not feel that it was his responsibility to solve every problem. And there were some disputes, as you read scripture, that Jesus refused to become entangled in. Somebody in this room needs to hear that. Some of you have assumed the position as the fourth member of the Trinity. And you have taken on the role of being responsible that no matter what the dispute is, you're to step into it. You're to bring great wisdom and clarity. There's a lot of disputes 
that you're supposed to stay away from. If we can learn anything from Jesus, he didn't entangle himself in all this junk that everybody had at all times. And I think one of the things that complicates our journey is oftentimes we don't pray through going, Lord, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to see? Is there anything you want me to do here? And I think we entangle ourselves at times. And it ends up leading to complication for us. But here would be the question based on the text. Why do people always chase after more? Why do people always seem to chase after more? Why are so many people discontent? What drives it? And as I establish, most people don't have a need problem. They have a greed problem. Most people don't have a need problem. If you leave if you live indoors and eat at least one meal a day, you're in the top 15% of the wealthiest people on earth. By show of hands, how many of y'all in this room do not live indoors and did not have a meal to eat yesterday? I'm talking to some wealthy people. You're in the top 15% of the wealthiest people on the planet. If you spend at least $2 a week on a cup of coffee, you ain't broke. You've got plenty. The average American spends $11 a week on a cup of coffee. If you've got a set of clothes that you wore in here for church, then you've got another set of clothes that you're going to throw on when you get home to chill in. But then you've got a different set of clothes that you can throw on to go work out in, you got enough. And how many of you ever walk into your closet and look and go, I just don't have anything to with your 27 pair of shoes sitting over there going, I just don't have anything that will match this outfit. Buy you a pair of black tennis shoes that will go with anything. <laughs> Y'all with me? Look at your neighbor right now. Look at your spouse and go, you have more than enough. When it comes to housing, when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to clothing, when it comes to the surplus of what we have here, most of us don't have a need problem. The average American will spend 22000 a year just on housing. The average American will spend $10,000 a year on automotive transportation, if you will. The average American will spend between $8,500 and $10,000 individually a year on food. I look across this room. There ain't too many of y'all fasting. <laughs> the average American spends $2,800 a year just on entertainment, whether it's going to movies, concerts, vacay. Clothing and apparel, we drop another 2000 on. I'm speaking to some wealthy people. I am a wealthy person. As a nation, we see our nation continue to waste billions annually. Research shows us that over $253 billion was spent last year on alcohol. 
People wasted away over $60 billion on gambling. That speaks to some of you in this room. Over $2 billion was spent on tattoos. Don't close your, don't, don't hide your arms, Carrie. And my family members have contributed some of them to this number. $14 billion on pornography. $31 billion on bottled water. $8, baby. Stop at the water fountain. Did anybody else in here grow up drinking out of a garden hose? Come on, somebody. Can you imagine $31 billion being spent on bottled water? $18 billion on credit card late charges? We live in a nation, and we have become people at times that are very foolish with money, very foolish with stewarding resources. Our country is extremely wasteful. We waste so much. And Jesus is going at the heart in this teaching of dealing with, make sure the posture of your heart is right when it comes to money, to wealth, etc. We all have a variety of areas of wealth. I've got six of them I wrote down, six areas of wealth that you have and I have that needs to be stewarded and managed for the glory of God. The first one I would say that you're wealthy with is your time. You get 10,080 minutes in a week, 10,080. And we have to stop and go, am I maximizing my time? Because Paul would write in Ephesians 5, redeem the time. Be careful how you walk. Don't walk as a fool. Understand what God's will is and do it. Am I leveraging and maximizing time for the glory of God? We can stand here and talk about the importance of serving and being connected and, and volunteering. But when you ask a person, hey, man, would you be willing to serve for 75 minutes to 90 minutes every two weeks? Would you be willing to, to give 90 minutes of your time? You've only got 20,160 minutes. I'm talking about 90 are you willing to serve for 90 out of the 20,160? Are you willing to leverage some of your time for kingdom work? Man, I'm busy with what? So you've got time. We're, we're wealthy with time. We all have certain talents. And when I think about talents, I think about gifts and abilities. And as we come to know the Lord, we start to identify maybe some of those. How am I leveraging talents, gifts, abilities to glorify God? What about networking? What kind of Christ-centered community do you have? What kind of people are you leaning into? What kind of network do you have in place? As I walk through only one day this week, one day, I saw again the need for community. My buddy Chet has open heart surgery. My buddy Chet who serves here, who serves as with, with, with us on security, who is a a licensed counselor and everything who serves open heart surgery. I saw the body rally around him. I leave the hospital, go to the funeral home. I saw the body rally around those people. This one young lady who lives in our community has been coming. Her husband is the one that went missing in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and all the, the devastation that happened there. I've seen the community rally around her. Matter of fact, their little girl 
made this little bracelet for me and gave it to me last week. And I said, I'm wearing it. I'm wearing that, thinking about you. But when you go through the ebbs and flows of life, what's your network look like? Where are you contributing in regards to community? We're wealthy people. We've got relationships around us. When it comes to wisdom, what have you learned? What has God taught you that he's wanting you to share with somebody else? Whether it's finances or whether it's marriage or whether it's evangelism or whatever. What have you learned? What what, what are you doing with your body and mind? Are you resting enough? Are you drinking enough water? Are you exercising consistently? Are you eating the right foods that help you think clearly? Or are you pouring just a bunch of toxins inside of you? Discipline yourself for the purpose of being godly. Bodily exercise is still of some value. It's an area of wealth that we can steward. Most people, when they think of wealth, they think of money only. But money is one of those areas. Am I leveraging the financial resources that God has entrusted to me to advance his kingdom and to be a blessing to other people? Jesus then told him a parable, starting in verse 16. Jesus said, uh, here's a story for you. The land of a rich man, a circle rich man, the land of a rich man was very productive. Who created the land? God created the land. The land that this guy now was to steward became very productive. He was a rich dude. So when I read that, I just wrote beside it, he had more than enough. He began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? So I started circling words. He said to himself, what shall I, 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 what shall I, I, I do with my, my, my stuff? I'm like, is this guy thinking God-centered or man-centered? Is this guy about advancing the kingdom of God or his own agenda? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods. You have more than enough. You've got so much laid up for many years to come. Why don't you take it easy and eat, drink, and be merry? But God, but God, but God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is going to be required of you. This very night, you're going to breathe your last breath. This very night, you're going boots up. This very night is the last night you'll ever take a breath on this planet. Listen to what he says. This is it. And now, all this getting that you got, who's going to get it now? And now who will own what you've prepared and worked so hard for? All this stuff that you've accumulated that you thought was about you, where is it going? And then Jesus says, so it is with a man who stores up treasure for himself and he's not rich toward God. 
He goes on to close out later in verse 34 by saying, where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be also. Listen to me. This is a crucial teaching in this, uh, in Luke chapter 12. We live in a hoard and consume society. We live in a get more, spend more society. Most people that you meet do not have the mindset of get more and share more. They have the get more, spend more. They have start with a starter home until you can graduate and graduate and graduate. They get a choir. They, they, the mindset of the American consumer is obtain it whether you can maintain it or not. Go get it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. And the Bible never says that it's wrong to have money or wealth. What the scripture continually emphasizes is what is the attitude of your heart when it comes to how you view money, wealth, resources, etc. Do you have a greed mindset or do you have basic need mindset? Do you live a simple life or have you complicated things with all of the greed mindset? Every person, I believe, has to sit before the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to turn on his searchlight and say, help me examine my heart. God, help me get your view and your perspective on what is enough, what is sufficient. Lord, help me to get your vision on what it looks like to be rich toward God. Okay, listen, listen, listen. I come to faith in Christ. I'm 22, turned 23 a few months later. I'm walking with the Lord. Been hanging out with Jesus for about 13 months. It's all new to me. Saved out of the culture that I came out of, right? And uh, I'm like, all right, Lord. So as a result of being involved in professional baseball at that time, uh, one of the guys with the Houston Astros, I was playing with the Astros. He, he said, I was a minor league player. He was in the big leagues. He said, I want to pay for you to go to this Christian conference. And I'm like, I'd love to go to this Christian conference. So I go to this conference. Josh McDowell is talking about apologetics and uh, taking a stand for the gospel. John Trent, Gary Smalley are talking about relationships. And Larry Burkett was talking about stewarding Christian financial principles in, his, in, his, in, in, in these sessions I went to. I didn't even know anything about it. I didn't even know this existed. Uh, before there was a Ron Blue, before there was a Dave Ramsey, before there was a Larry Burkett was the pioneer that was teaching this. And I remember sitting there going, I didn't even, I didn't even know this kind of stuff existed in the Bible. And I got three days of a crash course with him. One of the guys that lives in Lawrenceville, right down the road from here, he started a Bible study in his house years and years ago with Larry Burkett, brought some people in, and some of these Christian businessmen started financing this Larry Burkett stuff he was writing, saying this stuff needs to be taught throughout the world, throughout all these churches. I got introduced to Larry Burkett. And he, he was like, man, you've got to learn to steward God's resources. God's resources. There's more in Scripture that talks about money. There's more that talk about wealth in Scripture. Almost half of, the, uh, almost half of these parables Jesus told were about money and wealth. One out of every seven verses in the New Testament is talking about money and wealth. And I'm like, no way. Over 2,000 verses in the entire Bible deal with money and wealth. You, you, you need to understand this is a crucial area. And I'm like, I, I got to get it. I want to get it. 
and we offer financial freedom here and financial peace classes and, and different things to help people learn how to steward it for the glory of God. Now, let me say this before I get into more teaching. God desires for each and every one of us to be generous in our lives. God is a generous God. God so loved that God gave. And God desires and inspires each one of us to live very generous lives, hands open, giving to, giving through, not closed fist, right? Now, let me say this. Whatever your marinade is, church-wise, we do not believe in the prosperity gospel that is taught throughout our nation. There are some people that teach, you name it, you claim it, you blab it, you grab it, whatever they teach. They basically teach that when you give, God is like this great heavenly uh, banker that if you throw 10 his way, he's going to drop 100 your way. It's bogus. It's bogus. You give out of obedience to the Lord. You don't give to get. You give out of gratitude and thankfulness to the Lord. That's what the scripture teaches. There is a fundamental connection when you study scripture between our spiritual health and our ability to, Rico, mature spiritually. There's a fundamental connection between our spiritual health and growth and how we view and think about and leverage money. How we use money is a reflection of the condition of our hearts. How we go about stewarding what belongs to God. Here's two benefits I wrote down in regards to honoring God with your wealth. If you will learn to honor God with what God has blessed you with, first benefit would be this. You will avoid a lot of unnecessary pain. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evils. The love of money gives birth to all sorts of kinds of evil, crazy stuff. And some, and some, by longing for money, have wandered away from the faith and they have pierced themselves with all these unnecessary griefs that God never wanted them to have. The love of money, the attachment to it, being consumed with it. I'm telling you right now, if you will get God's view on money and wealth and resources, and you will get God's perspective, and you will start honoring God, you will avoid a lot of unnecessary pain. Because as I ministered for all those years in that athletic world, there was so much money. Even after I came to faith in Christ and I'm, I'm playing with guys that made money back in the day in the 80s. But then after I got into the, the chaplain piece and started ministering in the, in the 2000s and so forth, there was so much money. And God goes, you got to help protect that guy. you got to help coach him up. You got, you got to help him see that this is not his. It belongs to God. You got to show him. You got to get him with the right people that can help him from a biblical standpoint manage his $15 million a year. Because if not, he's going to have all these unnecessary pains. If not, he's going to be giving money away. And it's not his money to give away. It's my money for him to steward and manage. 
help him out. And so we would point to these Christian financial planners. I've got a buddy here, man. Would you sit down with him? He's going to help promote God's agenda and protect. Here's the second thing. If, if you will really honor God with your wealth, I promise you, you'll live a blessed life. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, honor the Lord from your wealth, from the first fruits of your, pro, of your produce there. Whatever produce you've got coming in, honor God with the first fruits. And if you go back and study it, the, 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 the best 10% you've got, bring it into the storehouse. Bring it before the Lord. Honor God with your first fruits. Listen to what he says, tithe. So your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will overflow with new wine. You want your barns really filled? Honor God with your wealth first. You, you want your wine vats to overflow? Honor God. Why? Because God wants you to live a blessed life according to the way he defines blessing. Now, now, now do this exercise for yourself. I don't know where you're at in the journey. Okay? I have no clue where any of you are. And what you do in this area. But when it comes to first fruit giving and tithing, how are you doing with that? Would you say that you rarely give? Would you say you randomly give? Would you say that, no, I regularly give? Or would you say that you radically give? Where are you at with this? First fruits. Tithing, I'm rare. I'm at best random. Why? Do you trust God? Do you want to obey God? Do you want to honor God? There is so much wisdom and there's so many benefits in living a life of generosity. And I've met people over the years and I'm like, I get it. Some people are not giving because of where they're at, strained so bad. They're like, I can't right now. You still can, but you've got to be wise and move out of debt. But you still can. Some people will say, I can't, I'm not giving because I can't. Other people are not giving because they won't. It's mine, really. I was reading Vanguard research that works with churches throughout our nation. Listen to me. Tithing stats. Vanguard said this, of U.S. Christians, here are the tithing stats. 5% of churchgoers tithe. The average giving amount per week per churchgoer is $17 a week. $884 a year. Listen to what they said. If every Christian tithed, 10%. Gave 10%. Christ-centered churches and organizations would have an extra $139 billion each year to leverage for kingdom work. If everyone tithed, they're like, do you realize, man, there would be an extra $139 billion to be leveraged for kingdom work? U.S. Christians collectively those that identify in our nation as Christian. This is Vanguard saying, these people that go to church going, I'm a Christian. U.S. Christians collectively make $5.2 trillion annually. 
That's you as Christians. When you take the entire amount of wealth globally, half of the wealth globally amongst evangelicals that call themselves followers of Christ is here in this nation. Why would we rob God? Why would we cheat God? Why would we dishonor God? And here's what we know. Here's what we know when we refuse to submit to Christ. You can, you can acknowledge God all you want to. When you move to allegiance of Christ, it changes the game. When he becomes my authority and Lord. But here's what we know. And here's what we, we know personally. If you don't have a plan for your money, and if you don't have God's strategy in dealing with your money, the world has a plan for your money. As I quoted the billions that are spent on porn, gambling, alcohol, all this other stuff, the world's got a plan to rip you off. Back to Larry Burkett, when I sat there, he was like, here's what I would encourage you to do. The first 10% you give. The next 10% you save. The other 80% live on it. You give the first 10 to God. You save 10. Get ahead for the future. But you live on 80 and his whole mindset was you can get to the place where it's 15, 15, 70, 20, 20, 60. You can get to the place where you, you minimize greed and you start living a life of generosity. Generosity starts with a heart that acknowledges how graceful and good God is. Why are you generous? The grace of God motivates me. Whatever the law required, grace inspires me to do so much more. This grace desire to change your life, yeah, not just from heaven, uh, from hell to heaven, not just from lost to found, but God wants to change every area of my life. God wants to change the way I view money, the way I use money. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell. You can read stats that say that even couples are more apt to talk about their sex life than they are their finances. What's got a stronghold on me? Why, why, don't, why don't I want to get on God's page? Most people think that having money, most people think having money is really important. Jesus taught what you do with your money is most important. Why, why am I in debt? Why, why do I have so much anxiety? Jesus said, be on your guard and make sure that you're rich toward God. Make sure that you're doing everything you can so that you can leverage what I've blessed you with so that you can be rich toward me, so that you can honor me, so that you can be a blessing to other people, so that I can use you. I can use you to encourage other people. The way we handle money will determine how many other things God will trust us with. I promise you this is true. And Jesus said, don't waste money. Don't love money. Honor God with whatever money. Because how we use money determines what and who is most important in our life, what's central in our life, what's first in our life. Solomon, who had all this stuff, in his biographical sketch of Ecclesiastes, 
who tested himself with wine, women, and song, who had hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines and had singers that entertained him and had vineyards that would make even the winemakers today blush. Solomon had all this stuff, and he said, you know what? What a bunch of foolishness. I did all this under the sun, which means I did all this, acquiring all this, without factoring God as being the center of my life. Solomon makes this statement in Ecclesiastes 5. He said, whoever loves money will never have enough. He's speaking from personal experience. Whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. He's like, I'm going to tell you all something right now. If you love money and love wealth, you'll never have enough. And he gets to the end of Ecclesiastes and he says, when it's all been said and done, fear God and keep his commands. That's what matters. That's what matters. So who's calling the shots in my life? Who is my authority? Who do, who do I listen to? Jesus concludes this teaching in Luke 11 or Luke 12. But by saying, don't, don't worry about all this stuff. Don't worry about it. Look at the birds. Don't worry about it. Look at the flowers in the field. Do they toil? Do they struggle? Do they worry? Don't worry about it. We sat there on the front porch last night, Mom and I, Barb. We were just sitting out hanging, talking. And... uh Mom put a hummingbird feeder out, little whatever they drink, uh, hanging on our bird feeder little hook thing. And we sat there last night, and there was like four different hummingbirds. And I was watching it drink, raise his head. And it was like the Lord said, does he look worried? He flies away, another one comes in. Does he look worried? He don't look worried. You see those flowers out there in the field? See those flowers y'all planted? Do they look worried? That's what Jesus emphasized. Look, look, at, look, at, this. look at how God takes care of stuff. Look, look at how God provides and protects. And Look, 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 look. Let me close you with some principle-centered thoughts. Understand this, our self-worth, Ray, is never measured by our net worth. Your self-worth is not measured by your net worth. Your net worth might tell you how much money you've got in the bank. Your self-worth is determined through the shed blood of Christ and through the infusing power of the Holy Spirit. What am I worth? You're worth my son dying a criminal's death. Don't confuse your self-worth with your net worth. Another principal thing I was thinking. We need to remember that we don't own anything. What you own? I don't own anything. Even my very life, God, again, is going to say, Cash, give me back my breath. See, your breath don't even belong to you. I'm loaning it. I just have been called a steward what belongs to somebody else. I'm to manage. 
So not, I don't own anything. Uh, another thing I would say is this. One day we're all going to stand before God and be audited <laughs> for the way we've done life. We're going to be audited. The Bible says that it's appointed a man to die and then stand before the Lord. We're going to give an account one day. He's like, I'm going to do an audit. I'm like, I want to stand before you. Not in guilt, but just saying, all right, I'm going to stand before you and give an account one day. I can tell you this. Even as you talk about stewardship, finances, resources, or whatever, you can't buy your way into heaven. The Catholics have tried to sell that one for a long time. It don't work. You can't buy your way into heaven. But you can use the resources that God has entrusted you with to help lead other people to heaven. To be a part of the Great Commission, you can do that. Here's my wrap question. So am I taking care of the body and the blessings that God has entrusted me to manage? Am I taking care of this body and the blessings, financial, resources, relationship, time, am I taking care of this to really honor God? What am I, what, what am I doing with it? And, and what keeps me from becoming a generous giver and a faithful tither? Well, where am I hung up? Why, why will I not honor God in this area? And, 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 and am, am I willing to move out of this rare, random state to radical, yeah, generous state?